Uh, as you know, we are in the book of Colossians, and today we'll be in Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. So if you have your Bible and you want to turn there, fantastic. Um, but this morning, uh, my goal is uh, maybe a little bit different than usual. My goal this morning is to begin a conversation that I am hopeful you'll carry out throughout the week uh, with small groups or accountability groups or with a friend or someone that you're engaging in conversation with. Uh, and the hope would be that what we share and talk about and interact with this morning would just kind of set the table for that. So this is not so much uh, me teaching you something new or us trying to dissect something. It is us kind of entering into a conversation, beginning to really reflect on uh, the text, and then encouraging, it's me really encouraging you to kind of put yourself into the text and allow the text to speak to you this week. Uh, for our time together, I'm going to cover three things, grammar, a four-minute talk, and metaphor. So that's where we're headed this morning. Uh, grammar. Uh, if you flash back with me about 22 years ago, I'm in a conversation. I'm hanging out uh, with one of my mentors. And we were likely, I don't know the exact details of the conversation, but we were likely uh, discussing what uh, the church is maybe lacking in America. So it was one of those kind of conversations. We're sitting around uh, just wondering if the church is falling short in any area, what would it be? And so we kind of had this dialogue back and forth, and he probably, knowing him, let me say a few things before he came in with a, a wise piece of wisdom. And I don't remember all the details of what was shared, but uh, certainly when it became his turn to talk and to give his thought on what was ailing the church at the time, I anticipated that he would say something along the lines of uh, prayerlessness, that the Church of America has lost its heart for prayer, it doesn't cry out to God, it isn't moving forward in growth, and it would be this like, oh, that makes a ton of sense. I would have probably said prayerlessness. Or another one that came to mind is listening, that we don't have ears to hear or be attentive to the Spirit, that we kind of go about doing what we imagine is on our bucket list for accomplishing great things for God. All the while he's going, if you just listen to what I was already accomplishing, maybe you could get in line with that and we'd do way more together. So I thought that might be one. Or another one that came to mind is individualism. That the disease of uh, self over community has subtly crept into the church and it is at the point where it is fully embraced and it is, in many ways, destroying the communal nature of the church. We don't think through the lens of community as much anymore. We think through the lens of I, me, mine, before we think of community. Or lastly, uh, that the church is selfish. That could have been a simple answer. That one of the things the church is lacking is this uh, idea of being so focused on self and our own comfort, our own desires, that we actually limit ourselves or exclude our very obedience or the heart for mission. That maybe those things are missing in the church today because we're so selfish. Well, it was his turn to give his answer and he said, the thing that I think is missing the most in today's church is grammar. Yeah, that's what he said. 
And I, on the outside, my external reaction was, oh, please, tell me more, right? My internal reaction was, not a chance. Not a chance. You got to be kidding me. There is no way that the greatest need of the Church of America is better English. That is not what I anticipated would be the answer. I thought it would be much more than that. But the premise is this, and this was what he kind of unpacked over the next few moments. The premise was that most Christians in today's culture will likely not learn Hebrew and Greek. Based on that assumption, then we have translations of the scriptures that we carry with us, that we read, hopefully on a regular basis, that begin to challenge us about who God is and how it is we relate to God. But if we do not understand how to read properly, we actually limit our understanding of the text. We can't really grasp all that it's intended to be communicated to us if we simply cannot read it correctly. So the lack of knowing uh, the role that adverbs and adjectives play or the importance of sentence structure or how participles support the sentence or that there's different types of verbs, all of that, if you miss that, then his theory was it limits your ability to understand the Bible, which in turn limits your ability to know how to follow what God is asking you to do, which then limits our ability to impact the world in significant ways because we sit around wondering what it is we're called to do. That's his premise. So knowing grammar, he would say, unlocks the text. It gives us the ability to understand it for ourselves. And you think maybe to yourself, what does this have anything to do with Colossians 2, 6, and 7, which is what we'll be talking about this morning? And it has to do with this. As I read that text, that story kind of flashed into my mind because the text today is like a case study in grammar and sentence structure. Basically, if you know good grammar and sentence structure and you read these two verses, there is no point in me giving a talk at all, okay? Because it is so clear exactly what Paul is asking of the church in Colossians and what he's asking of us today if we receive it from him and from God. So what I thought I would do for point two is to give a four-minute talk. Okay, so if someone has their timer and you can start the stopwatch, the goal would be to complete this talk in four minutes. Are we ready? Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught abounding in thanksgiving. Now, the sentence structure of the paragraph is very straightforward and gives all the instructions to the church. Everything that they would need to know is simply a matter of grammar and sentence structure. You begin with a main indicative verb. The idea is you have received something. The text tells us that we have received Christ. It's already been done. There's nothing we have to do at this point. The Colossian church has accepted it, received it. You've received Christ. That is followed by a prominent imperative verb, which is so walk in him. Okay, this is a command. It calls you to do something. It is also, I know you're thinking, oh, yes, it is present active imperative, which means to continue walking in the faith. It means keep doing what you're already doing. You don't need to like 
uh, add anything. Just keep doing what you're doing. You're already in the faith. You've received it. So walk in him. That indicative precedes the imperative on purpose. Paul put it in order on purpose, which you already know because one, you know grammar, and two, you know logic. So those things then lead to four participles. Those four participles are kind of describing what it means to walk. The first three participles are the means by which the Colossians are able to walk in Christ, which is being rooted, being built up, being established. Those three participles are in the passive tense, which means that you are being acted upon. You don't have to do anything. God has already done it. So he's the one doing the rooting and the establishing and the building up. You have nothing to do. He's done it. The fourth participle then describes the outcome or the result of that walking, which is that we would overflow with thanksgiving. That overflowing is active, which means, if you're tracking, passive, we don't do it, God did it, active, we do it, right? So then we, it should be people of gratitude. So the big gist of the whole thing is that God is already rooting, establishing, building us up, teaching us. We don't have to do anything for that. Instead, we overflow with gratitude and thanksgiving, which is another way of saying that the grace that you've received If you carry on or continue in the faith, then that will result in a gratitude or a thanksgiving back to Christ. Got it? Done. Did anyone time that? How long? What time is it right now? Well, no, I mean like, uh, well, yeah. I did it in three minutes? Look at that. Three minutes. I should have said a three-minute talk. Thank you for timing it. Three-minute talk. But here's... Here's the gist. You, if you read that, you know it. It is very clear what Paul is communicating. There is not much to be added to that other than to like kind of explain or what does he mean by rooted or established, which again, these are all things that I think really captured me this week because they're all tethered to this idea of metaphor. So instead of us focusing on the four-minute standard talk, What I want us to do is spend the rest of our time focused on this idea of metaphor. What Paul is doing is saying, continue to walk in faith with Christ. And the way to do that is, and then he describes in metaphor, what I think are some fascinating things. So most of you, again, because you're great at English, know that a metaphor is a figure of speech that for rhetorical effect directly refers to one thing by mentioning another thing. Okay? And the Bible, we know, is filled with metaphor all over the place. Things like hidden reefs or clouds without water or trees without fruit or waves that are crashing onto the sea or wandering stars that kind of move out of place or things that are as numerous as the sand in the seashore. You get the idea. This kind of language happens throughout the scriptures because it's invoking something in you. It's designed to make you more inquisitive. It's not designed for you just to kind of check it off, but rather to like more deeply dwell on what the passage is saying. So Paul in this text is using metaphor to describe what spiritual progress looks like. Okay, and on the screen you'll see what he kind of lists. 
Paul describes spiritual growth as walking along a path, being rooted like a tree, being built up like a building under construction, being taught as a student, and overflowing like a flooding or a mighty river. These are the things that the text is inviting you to think about. And what I love about this text and what I love about those word pictures he uses is that there is not a logical connection between any of them. It isn't like he's putting five things together so that you see kind of one picture. Rather, he's picking from five or so numerous illustrations, kind of spanning what would be common or uh, something that every person reading would acknowledge or know because they see it every day. He's connecting that which is spiritual to that which is present, that which is seen. And it makes me wonder in some ways that since he's like trying to connect these metaphors to their existence or to their space, I wonder if he did that because while he was in jail, not being able to see any of those things and writing this letter, did he kind of imagine himself out among the people saying, when you think of this, think of like a building getting bigger and being built up. And when you think of it, think of a tree kind of descending its roots into the soil to get more nutrients and water. And when you think of it, and he just keeps describing And I think he uses metaphor because metaphor has the extraordinary power of redescribing reality. It's the graphic nature of a metaphor is one that shakes us, I think, to seeing things that maybe we didn't see at first glance. That by having to wrestle with the word picture or the descriptor, we then suddenly have to say, what is it that Paul's really getting at? with these ideas. You begin, I think, to see the distance between the reality we imagine to be true and that which is actually true. Now, there's several ways you could read this passage. One would be to read it as having static metaphors, meaning that the only thing Paul wanted you to get out of this passage would be just those words that were used. Another way to imagine it would be that he's looking over the city, describing for them metaphors, and that if he was at our courthouse jail, kind of overlooking our city, what metaphors would he use in our space? What metaphors would he use today that would help us? Rachel Held Evans says this, When you stop trying to force the Bible to be something it's not, static, precipitous, certain, absolute, then you're free to revel in what it is, living, breathing, confounding, surprising, and yes, perhaps even magic. So I want to encourage us this morning not just to try to understand the metaphors present in the text there, but to also use our imagination to explore more deeply what is it that Paul is kind of driving us to think about ourselves. So I want to give you a little task that we'll try to accomplish together over the next few minutes. All right? I have chosen 
two metaphors that if Paul were to live in 2020 in Spokane, I'm just going to guess that he would have used these two metaphors. And I'm going to ask us to brainstorm, think about how those metaphors relate to what it means to grow up in Christ, to be more like Christ, to walk with Christ. If we're actually progressing in faith, what does that look like? And use your particular metaphor to uh, kind of tease that out. So what I'm going to do is the room is already divided into two spaces. So one of you will get, one half will get one metaphor, the other group will get the other metaphor. Um, And I was inspired by this based on last week's zombie apocalypse metaphor and kind of the idea there, okay? So uh, so here's, here's, uh, let me ask a quick question, that way I'll limit, uh, kind of decide which side gets what. How many, like, people would consider themselves like a foodie? You love food, like you are into it big time. Okay, so this half of the room is more foodie than that half. So your metaphor is uh, eating, okay? Your metaphor is eating. So the idea would be so eat with Christ, okay? So instead of so walk with Christ, so eat with Christ. This half of the room, your metaphor is technology. So be wired into Christ, okay? Those two ideas, eat with Christ, be wired in with Christ. And I want you to discuss this with your neighbor. So talk to people around you um, and ask them for ideas that would enhance the metaphor, okay? So it could be extrapolated ideas, word pictures, thoughts, anything that will help us to tease it out. I'll give you about three or four minutes to do it, and then I'll just uh, receive those back, and we'll wrap up with a final thought. All right? Ready? Go. All right. Can uh, regather. This, uh, this will either completely bomb... Or it will do what I was hoping, which is begin the conversation again to ask ourselves, how do we place ourselves in the text in a way that keeps informing and challenging and being fresh to us to capture Paul's idea and what Christ wants us to understand? I'm going to start with technology. Uh, Feel free to uh, shout them out and uh, we'll see how we can tease out that metaphor a little bit and then move to food second. So, any takers? Technology. Wi-Fi is free. Free to everyone. Okay, awesome. The grace of Christ, also free. Fantastic. Uh, Someone else? Yeah. Yeah, the cloud is everywhere. Okay. In fact, the Old Testament, the Israelites followed the cloud by day. Yeah, the fire by night. Um, yes. Okay, keep going. Yes. Look at Hans coming through. That's like a young life uh, message waiting to happen. Unplug so you can plug in. Let's go, kids. Okay, next. Yeah. Easily integrated into our mainframe, our framework. Good. What else? Yeah. Okay. Difference between trying to get a good signal and just like receiving that signal or plugging into that signal. Good. Any others? Yeah. Yeah. Hard to imagine with uh, living without it. 
Good. What else? We'll go just a few more. Absolutely. Computers going dead, phones going dead, recharge with Christ. Good. Hardwired versus plugged in. Good. Love it. Any others? Yeah, I like that. To be completed by the program of Christ. Good. Let's go one more. Say that again. (laughs) Yes. Password is not password. It is Jesus. Excellent. Excellent. Uh, Obviously, we could keep, like, expanding that metaphor more and more. Um, One that kind of captured my mind as I was thinking about it is the importance of a family plan, right? Um, The idea of being communal. Like, there's something significant that happens when you're all connected. And uh, really, the whole interweb is interconnected in ways that are um, pretty staggering to us. So, good. Let's uh, let's shift over to eating. Uh, Far away. Protein of prayer. Yes. Love it. Love it. This is going to be good, I can tell. Okay, keep going. Is that it? That's all we had. Just protein of prayer, call it a day. That's good. Uh, what else? Oh, boy. Oh, man. I should avoid these two rows right here. The discipline of dairy, if you didn't hear that. Okay, uh, any others? There's enough for everyone. Fantastic. Good. What else? You're on that side, your technology. <laughs> yeah, you had your turn. Uh, eat to uh, and never get full. Yeah, that's, that's great. What else? Savor it. Yeah, savor it. Good. Say that again? Yeah, fellowship is energizing. There's certainly a communal element to a meal, right? That there's something, like if you just have it by yourself, it's good. But there's something that happens when you share that with others that makes it even better. Yeah. Any others? Very good. Everyone brings something to the table. Yeah. We all have a part to play. We can all bring something to, to share with a common feast. Always room at the table. Good. Yeah, clearing space for people to arrive. Table's always set. Yeah, Christ can be served in many different ways. Time for maybe one more. Meat for nourishment. Yeah, yeah, there's even, uh, like, Paul uses those illustrations, right, in the New Testament, the difference between milk and meat and growing up in faith. I would say, uh, not to get too far with the metaphor, uh, but there probably has to be something related to digestion, sucking out the nutrients of what you place in, uh, discarding what you no longer need, those kinds of things. You can play with that later, but... (laughs) Um, Yeah, those are all parts of a metaphor. Uh, And I think this is what Paul is getting at, is uh, he's not just saying only think about it as a building that's being built up. He's saying think about it in a way that moves you toward a greater and deeper relationship and fellowship and faith in Christ. 
Let me leave you with this one idea, um, because you might be asking your question, so what do we do with this? How does this relate exactly to Colossians? And I would say this, in Colossians 2, 6 and 7, these four ideas are kind of uh, put in there. Um, downward, meaning like we're being rooted more deeply into something that there's a certain amount of depth happening. Upward, that we're being built up. Inward, that internally we're being strengthened and fortified in our faith. And that outwardly, something is overflowing from who we are to others. I would say whatever metaphor you use this week, whatever metaphor you discuss in your small group or with a friend, or even as you're just kind of doing your own uh, time with God and maybe you're reflecting on a metaphor, whatever one you use, it has to be, in my opinion, complete. Meaning it like completely consumes you. Upward, inward, outward, every way you look, this metaphor should consume you. It should overwhelm you. That it isn't just about walking with Christ in a way that we kind of add him as an accessory to our life, but rather that he replaces our life in a way that it's his life. That that's the, you're so consumed with who Christ is and who God is in your life that that's everything. May that be our metaphor and may that be our prayer. Let me pray. And then uh, Kevin is going to come. And then after Kevin, I'm going to give a little benediction. Let's pray. God, we are grateful that you are everything. You're all that we need and that uh, we can lean into metaphors that extend our understanding of who you are, the complete complexity of your being, and that we might pursue you more. May we grow up in you. May we be faithful. May we pursue you in a way that changes us. And God, may the overflow of that be gratitude and a life that impacts those around us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.